welcome to Bookshelf Shelfies. I'm your host, Mary Barbara Hanna. Here we interview everyday people about their extraordinary lives and the books that influence them. <laughs> I forgot to say three, two, one, but here we are. Uh, That's great. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So today, uh, hi, everybody. Mary Barbara Hanna. This is Bookshelf Shelfies. And this is my incredible friend, Karen Prudeau. And I, she and I, of course, have started talking the second her face appeared on my screen and I have not been able to catch my breath. So I literally just hit start record so we could just get into this thing because we're just having such a great time talking. And here we go. And here we go. And so I'll tell you, you know, just Karen's just got such a great sense of humor. Our, we have the same, a similar sense of humor. So we spend a lot of time giving one-liners and then laughing. And we have um, one of those relationships, I think, where there's a lot of unspoken comments behind the humor. So we don't have to say the whole thing. We say a few things and we both just start laughing because we we know, you know, what the other person means. And um, so let me tell you how I met Karen. I met Karen probably in 2000, the year 2000 or 2000. Yeah, probably around 2000. Right there, yeah. Yeah, uh, she was working at the Women's Reentry Network at the Lutheran Metropolitan Ministries as a social worker. And you can tell us more about that work in a minute, but let me talk about me. And <laughs> of course, my show. Um, but anyway, I went to be, I went there as a GED instructor and I sat in the basement with Roy, one of oh, my favorite Roy. people. Do you remember Roy? Roy with the amazing voice. Yes, he exactly. Like he was on a radio show. Yes, he did. <laughs> Deep, resonant voice. Yeah, so Roy and I hilariously, so in a nonprofit world, you know, every space is valuable in a building. You you just cram in wherever you can. So Roy and I literally sat in the basement of the building and the fr- in the room, and the front part of our room was like dress for success. So all the donated clothing for women who were going to go on interviews or just needed some clothing because they were just coming out of prison or jail. So the front part of our room was all clothing, and then we each had a little desk. Uh, behind all this clothing and then there was a little conference room right behind us Roy was a social social worker therapist person and he would meet with clients in the room behind me and I literally had one chair sitting next to my desk and that's where I met with my clients for their GED classes so anyway so that's how I got to meet Karen and in this building there's lots of other little organizations under the umbrella of Luther Metropolitan Ministries so that's how we met and Karen and I got to be fast friends over Probably not a, a lot of time. Um, a couple of years was I, I, I was just there a couple of years. So, oh, that really? was- so what happened? So let's so um, <laughs> let's go back um, and so tell us. So I've given a little introduction about how I know hmm. you. Let's hear who are you and what the hell are you doing? No, <laughs> I have now uh, been a clinical social worker for twenty eight years. That's amazing. Uh, so what were uh, you? Yeah, do- yeah, how did you? Yeah, what yeah. was happening to you before you started at um, Women's Reentry Network? What okay. were you doing right before that? I worked at Healthcare for the Homeless, and oh. we did outreach to severely mentally Ill homeless folks in Cleveland. Okay. We had a day shelter slash um, meeting house. Um, I just forgot the name of it. Um, <laughs> That's okay. But folks had to have a, a, a membership card. So it was absolutely for severely mentally homeless folks where they could come and be safe. Uh, there was a lot of violence, still is a lot of violence toward homeless uh, in general, and mentally ill folks or folks who are substance abusing are mm-hmm. particularly at risk for the violence. Um, mm-hmm. There was another agency called Health 
um, uh, mental health. I think it was just mental health for the for the homeless, mm. and they did a lot of work trying to help folks with finances, finding housing, uh, mental health services. Um, we weren't so focused on mental health services as socializing and helping folks to have a, a safe place to be. We helped start um, a couple of homeless shelters specifically for mentally ill folks because mm -hmm. um, they were such easy targets mm. for the sharks out there. Yeah. So I would start, start the day a lot of times by driving through McDonald's and buying lots of bags of food and you know, sort of bribing people to talk to me mm. in um, alleys behind restaurants were really good places to find folks. The the break front, the break walls down by the by the, oh, the yeah. lake, yeah. Uh, they hang out there. The rocks would get warm. They'd hang out on the rocks. And, oh. um, so we had a membership of well over a hundred folks most of the time. I, I worked there three or four years, and so it was outreach. We worked really hard to get. Uh, we were able to house twenty five folks, um, tiny rooms, sort of like a dorm room, mm -hmm. and worked hard to get folks on medications. And, and we also had obviously healthcare that was available for people. So that was uh, my first job when I moved to Ohio from Kansas, where I right. had gotten my masters. Okay, and, uh, I do recall so that now. Jayhawks often uh, play West Virginia in oh. various sports, um, except for basketball, you guys win mostly. We didn't win yesterday, <laughs> I can tell you that. My husband is, of course, a mountaineer. And so uh, I, I always know when we win and lose, and we did not win yesterday. I'm sorry. Um, let me, so let me just check in with you a little bit. So your backstory is, are you, where are you from originally? I want to say like New Hampshire or Maine or? So close, Ohio. <laughs> not actually close at all. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been an adventure. Uh, I feel like I should have had one of those buses with, with uh, cartoons on the side. Um, so I came out as lesbian when I was about 19 uh, to my family. I was out to myself before that, but um, my mother did not take it well. Um, she um, had some mental health troubles and mm. was pretty hyper-religious for a lot of my teens and early adulthood. Mm. And she um, was not happy with what she thought was a choice. And um, that got uncomfortable enough that um, when I had a partner, uh, my very first partner of about three years, we, uh, <clears throat> she took a job at the University of Kansas and I said, oh, Kansas, that sounds good. So I joked that it was as far as I could drive from Ohio in a day, uh, <laughs> a long day, <laughs> but I lived there almost 20 years. So uh, oh, I right. first um, took a few classes at KU and then realized that while I enjoyed classes, I wasn't really enjoying being a student. And so I um, ended up breaking up that first relationship and uh, got involved with a group of people who were doing music. And I did sound and road managing for um, eight, nine, almost 10 years, I guess. And uh, that was probably the best training for being a social worker ever. That's meeting new people every day. So learning how to engage and learning how to sort of create relationships quickly and get people to help work. and. Um, and the traveling was amazing. We drove through every state in the union at least three or four times. That's incredible. Um, I don't think I really, I mean, I'm sure you told me that, but I, you know, I forgot. Sorry. Um, oh, I can't believe you forgot a weird detail about me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been thinking about all these? Barbara. Really? Didn't you take <laughs> notes? 
The uh, take us back then a little bit. I'm kind of curious. When did you go back and get your master's degree? Oh, that was a very interesting story. How interesting of you to ask. Well, thank I, you. Um, I got tired of, of being on the road. It's it's a very, um, it's, it's kind of like marrying a princess, you know, like it's not what you expect. I had a <laughs> blast. I had a great time. Um, it was a, a very exciting lifestyle. And I, you do know I love to travel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going someplace three or 400 miles away every day was really spectacular. But there were a lot of very adolescent things about it. Um, lots of drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. and um, lots of very short relationships with people. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I still know some folks from those days, but not, not what I would have wished for, I guess. So I thought I would try a career. And I went back to school again and I took EMT training and that was wow. really very amazing. And it was 19, oh wow, 84 maybe, 85 in Kansas. And um, excuse me, asthma morning. And um, I did a lot of interviews at ambulance services and you know first aid places and whatnot. And I was told more than once that they were not going to hire a woman, even though they felt obligated to interview some of them. Uh, and, and I was like, hey, I look great in blue. I, really <laughs> and I promise I won't sleep with anybody else who works for you, all those men. Um, that didn't work either. And um, so I thought I'm gonna lose my skills. So I went to the Red Cross and became an instructor for the Red Cross. And I did that kind of full time for a couple of years. And again, it was really fun meeting people, having, you know, build relationship quickly. Uh, I found out I'm a pretty good teacher and I really enjoy teaching. So I haven't done it for 25 years now. And um, so- I liked it so much I stopped. Yeah. <laughs> so the, um, the Red Cross uh, hired me to be a phlebotomist at the little tiny blood center in Ew, Lawrence. No, I hate blood. Oh, okay. It was awesome because it wasn't my blood. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Needles, blood. Oh, big needles too, really like hose pipes. Yeah. No, I still know CPR. So if you have a problem, stay in the I'll be there. <laughs> there we go. Um, I like that. Um, it happened to be across the street. This is getting complicated, isn't it? Mm -mm. It happened to be across the street from a mental health center where I actually had been a client on and off. Um, and some of the people I really liked the most worked there and would just walk across the street and donate every eight weeks. So we had continuing conversations with eight week interruptions. And one of the people I really liked um, said, you should become a social worker. And I said, oh my God, take children away and do a lot of paperwork. No, that's not me. And she said, oh no, no, social work's a lot more than that. And that really was the sort of the seeds of the idea. Um, then I had a knee surgery and because we only had two staff, my boss said that I had to be able to do CPR if we needed that in the building before I could come back to work. So I was off about six or eight weeks and um, I don't do being bored very well. And I'm hard on people around me when I'm bored. So a friend came over having made a special trip up to KU and brought me a stack of grad school catalogs and uh, sociology, psychology, social work, anthropology, um, I have a great story about Margaret Mead and why I could never go into anthropology if we get there. Um, Many times. So I read the catalog. <laughs> we have more than that because you can edit the weird parts out. <laughs> and, um, 
bring it down to an hour. Um, and um, I read the social work catalog and I just was fascinated by all about it that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I took my cast and my crutches and my dog and we went up to KU and I found the School of Social Work and I met an amazing woman you should interview. Her name is Alice Lieberman. And she is a complete social work advocate. And we just went to her retirement party uh, this past oh, summer. Okay. We've, stayed, we've stayed really tight buds. So that's been great. And she said, you can do anything with social work. When do you want to start? And I said, well, I have to finish my undergrad first. And it turned out because I'd taken a few classes, my credits never died. Mm. So I didn't have to start at zero. So my idea was I'd get a BSW. And she said, you have like 18 credits to finish, finish your undergrad and then go to grad school. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, grad school, that's gotta be really hard because it's like <laughs> past college. And, and so I did, why not? And um, it was probably the happiest, most contented, exciting time of my life. Um, all the people you talk to in grad school and you don't have to take a ma another math class. You know, it's, you're just taking social work classes right. and it was really, really cool and I'm, I'm glad all those things happened. And uh, being a social worker is such a big part of my identity now. Um, I'm so glad you shared that whole backstory. I, you know, one of the reasons I love this, what I'm doing in this podcast, our tagline is interviewing or talking with everyday people about their extraordinary lives. And of course, the books that inspire them. Um, awesome. And I think it's awesome when my listeners get to hear what inspires other people, how they choose the life paths they choose or, you know, decisions they've made and how things come around again and we, how we end up moving forward. And uh, I, I just love hearing about that. You said something, oh, I know what I was thinking. As you were talking, I was thinking for anyone who's never met with a social worker or ever actually even gone into therapy, I have to say some of the best years of my life were spent working in organizations where social workers were my coworkers or my boss, because mm -hmm. I got an enormous amount of free therapy. And I really truly believe I did. I really you know, truly believe to do that. We're what was that? To do therapy with our friends. We're, we're well, to like... I wouldn't call it therapy. I would okay. say, you know, good, but... good conversation. Let's yeah, go to lunch. It. Let me tell you all about my <laughs> terrible life. Um, but, it, you know, I, in fact, I actually have a friend I'll be interviewing in a few weeks. Her name is Stacy Sheeman, and she's also a social worker. And she worked, I worked for her at a place called Providence House in Cleveland and yes. um yeah were, you know Providence us yeah they were amazing yeah they, yeah, yeah and they still are it's a it is That's a awesome. fabulous organization so I'll be yeah. talking to her she actually is heading up Summit County maybe oh I can't think of what county she's working in I won't go off on a tangent because I can't recall all the details so I'll leave it but anyway she's coming up in a few weeks uh but I I really did need some therapy at the time and so I actually uh she and I were both getting our master's degree at the same time we were going to school at night working all day and I just said to her you know I think I need some therapy my brother had died suddenly unexpectedly in 2005 I remember that. and uh yeah right I you and I also talked a lot during that time One of the twins Oh, no, this was, um, I just had two older brothers. And oh, I thought they were twins. Oldest brother. They weren't twins. I mean, it doesn't matter, but the point is, I remember okay. speaking with you a lot during that time as well. Actually, I will never forget the advice you gave me, which is um, give yourself a year and don't make any decisions. Oh, I sound wise, don't I? Yeah, well, it, was, it was very, <laughs> I think you were drunk. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. That's altogether possible. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going off. I'm, this is what happens. We start talking. We're like, oh. right? it's just, that's true. But anyway, it was very good that, advice that you gave me. We did a no lot of decisions. Talking. Yeah, for a year. Yeah. And it was very difficult because I was sort of at a crossroads. So trying to mm-hmm. just sit on my feelings and my thoughts for a year, it was difficult, but but good, you know, and, and uh, yeah, that was great advice. Anyway, so talking with Stacy, I actually did make appointments with her over like some lunch times. And um, I would just tell her, you know, I really, I do need a therapist and I don't have time and money right now to have one. And, you know, what I was talking about with her, I had nothing to do with work. Some of it was just the grief counseling of dealing with my brother. Yeah. I was in a relationship. I mean, just sort of, you know, everyday life stuff, but I, it was interesting. We'll talk about that some other time. Cause this isn't about me. Anyway, so this is hard having you on my podcast and not just having a whole personal conversation. With you. <laughs> so anyway, so you, um, what brought you back to Ohio? Let's go there. So you, you graduated. I um, was in, uh, I had started a relationship with the amazing Sue Perlmutter, who was in, yes. We love um, Sue. And she says, hey, and hugs. Um, next time we're in the same state, we will definitely all have big four or five way hugs. Um she was in the PhD program. I was in the master's program. We got together uh, around the um, the summer between first and second year grad school okay. for me. And um, she had been teaching at KU um, for a few years and we met through friends and we liked each other real good and our relationship sort of came out of the blue. It was so surprising to both of us and um we're still together yeah 28 years this year congratulations and, um, thanks uh we actually got married three weeks after the supreme court gave us personal so exciting to do so yeah we have we have pictures it's great yeah and uh, i think we were together about a year and i said all right when you finish i'll go anywhere you want to go Aww. i just want to be with you and yeah. it was really awfully romantic and we were cute and it was great <laughs> and still great um, and, and I said, but you know what? Not not Ohio. I, I mean, Ohio's gray. Cleveland is gray. The lake is gray. My parents live altogether too close to Cleveland. And so she took a job at Case Western Reserve <laughs> University in Cleveland. And I said, okay, fine. We'll go to Cleveland. And it turned out to be a wonderful, fabulous move. And um, wouldn't have met you. So there See? you go. Yeah. That's the best part. Oh, thank so you. So that got us to Cleveland. Um, and she taught at Case for eight years. Uh, her brother and her mother died uh, the same year. And so that. she got an extra year to, yeah, that was a tough time. Yeah, um, yeah, I was at Women's Reentry by then. So she um, applied for tenure and was granted it at several levels. And then the, at the level at, of the college president that they have to do reviews, it was denied. And it was a terrible shock. And um, that was a very tough year. So I said, well, they don't deserve you then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, knight on, in shining armor on the horse. And so we started looking and um, ended up coming to Rhode Island, Rhode Island College, oh, okay. where she's had another amazing, really brilliant career. She started out in faculty and about three years later, I think she was, she was named the interim dean of the school of uh, the master's program at the School of Social oh, Work. Wow. 
did that for a few years. They hired somebody to be the dean who didn't last. And then Sue did it for another five or six years. And then she stepped in as the interim provost and president of, of academic affairs. Wow. Um, oh, I think that's a funny title. It's like people in academia having affairs. <laughs> it's a great idea for a book, I think. So um, she did that for two years, I think. They hired somebody who pretty quickly went somewhere else and they oh. said, would you do it again? And now she's done it for two or three years. And uh, we just talked yesterday about how she feels like it's probably time to retire. Oh, wow. So that has been our sort of journey together. We've done mm -hmm. three states in 28 years. That's really lovely. I'll tell you what, um, so a little piece of trivia about Sue Perlmutter. Anyone who knows me was in within those six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon. So tell us how <laughs> you guys are like within one degree of separation from Kevin Bacon. True enough, true enough. We've met them, um, both the Bacon brothers. I, uh, I think it's really funny that Michael has won um, an, an Oscar and, and uh, Kevin has not. Oh. I, I just get that out there. Uh, he won it for um, a movie score. And Kevin has, of course, been in amazing movies and hasn't won an Oscar, which I think is really a crock. But um, uh, Sue's brother-in-law, my brother-in-law-in-law, is uh, Frank Velarde. And um, they live in New York. And Frank has been uh, the Bacon Brothers drummer for uh, 10 or 12 years. Uh, Frank has never had a day job. He's always had night jobs doing music. And um, they're quite a lot of fun. Um, they played in Cleveland. Oh, they played in Cleveland when I was at Women's Reentry. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so that's I don't remember getting invited that. to the concert, but okay. I'm fairly sure we didn't invite you because we're probably mad at you that week. I don't know something. Right. But, um, I didn't yeah, like so this sweater you wore that day. It was so stupid. Right? It was a weird old-fashioned thing, right? So, um, <laughs> Sue Perlmutter just got home, and um, hey, Sue Perlmutter, I'm in love with you. I think you're amazing. She does not think she's amazing. She she needs yeah, to hear that does. more. She's left She's, letters, so this thing about, so what, um, when Karen and I were hanging out together, so I, I'll tell you a little bit more about my time with Karen. So we often, every time, I actually never call her Karen Prudeau, and I'll tell you why. I always call her Karen Carpenter, because Karen <laughs> is a fabulous woodworker. She is. She's amazing with her woodworking. And when I went through my divorce, and Lauren and I moved to our first apartment, Lauren had a nice-sized bedroom. But we Ooh. wanted a loft. And who came and built our loft but the fabulous Karen Carpenter. So I always called her Karen Carpenter to my daughter. So Lauren actually doesn't even know that your last name I is Prudhoe. Because I always say Karen Carpenter. And uh, so it's always funny, funny when I have to remember it's actually uh, Prudhoe. But anyways, so um, then I was in a relationship with a guy that also enjoyed woodworking. And so we, Peter, and so Peter and I would go over to Sue and Karen's house for dinner, wine or brunch, whatever we were doing. And Sue and Peter would go down to her woodworking Working shop. I mean, Karen and Peter would go down the <laughs> stairs to the woodworking shop to look at stuff, and I would hang out in Sue's kitchen. And being with Sue is just like having a second mom. I mean, the minute she meets you, she's just so genuine, authentic, kind, gentle, mm -hmm. so everything you just want in a mom, you know, for me. And I was just yeah. like, I just want you to be my mom. And um, so we just always had a great time with Sue. And Karen is tall like I am. I think, Karen, you're probably 5'9 five, or 5'10. Five, oh, 5'8, five, 5'7, five, 5'8 five, in there, yeah. 
Yeah, maybe a little maybe bit. Maybe my hair was taller. Like, I think my hair was taller back oh, then. Oh, your hair was, yeah, right. Uh, and Sue is like, I don't know how tall um, Sue is. 5'3". Yeah, she's, so she's kind of like but, this little petite thing. Yeah. Oddly, just, we have the same length legs. So when we walk, I know it's weird. Like our hips are at the same height. And I have a so very she has very long, long legs. Well, kind of, yeah. Yeah, and you've got like a longer torso. Yeah, so um, it's odd. Do you share pants? No, no, she has way better taste than I do. Okay. You know, part of being a social worker is you can kind of dress however you want to. That's for sure. Sue loves to dress up, which is great. So, um, yeah, I really, I I admire her fashion taste and we leave it to her. Excellent. (laughs) All right. So there's a little bit more of the background between Karen and I and her amazing partner, Sue. Um, Karen, the next... We have a granddaughter. What? You knew that, right? No, I, you know, so here it is back to the weird Facebook relationship that we develop with people. I actually haven't talked with Karen in a long time. And so I've seen pictures. I'm not really sure who the people are. There's no real explanation. (laughs) I make stories. Of course you know. So um, yeah, tell us about your granddaughter. So we have two grandsons in California, uh, Sue's son, Steve, which is fun to say, Sue's son, Steve, and um, his wife, Lisa have uh, two boys and um, Neil and Jody are uh, the kids in Boston. Um, And they adopted a little girl from North Carolina almost 13 years ago. She has a May 5th birthday, which is great. So every year we do a Mother's Day, um, Ruby's birthday uh, celebration, which we missed last year. And I I don't know that we'll get to do it this year, but we, we Zoom sometimes, even even though it's odd to not see them. Mm-hmm. So Ruby is um, 12 going on 25. She's oh. amazing. She's really tall. She's done dance for a while. She oh, kind of got into gymnastics so she can do odd things with her body. and um, <laughs> Bendy. Break me. Yeah, yeah very right, right. right, people are bendy. You have two extra knees in each leg or something. <laughs> so that's very exciting. Um, Sue is an amazing grandma. And, yeah. Um, so um, we, we have this amazing family too, which I was know, I love that. part of coming to New England was getting to be close to Neil and Jody and, and then Ruby. Excellent. So the weekend that we moved here uh, was the weekend after their wedding. I, oh, and so. so we drove to the wedding in my, my little Ford Ranger, which you probably remember, and um, parked it at a hotel in Providence, flew back to Ohio, picked up the rental truck, packed, and then drove out like the next Thursday. The things so, we do when oh, we're young. I know. <laughs> it's amazing that we were we were young back then. It's not funny. I'm just saying, you know, like I'm, well, you know, it's crazy because I'm 57 and I was, you know, 37 That's when I met you. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, just how young, yeah. when I, when you're young, you're like, oh, we're just going to pack up and drive across the country. And you're like, yeah. And right now I'm like, what? Back up, <laughs> across the country. I just don't think the so. The idea of I mean, it's hard enough to go down the basement and bring up laundry. Yes, uh, I know. Yeah, no, I need a nap for that. You know, I'm not going to do that with no, with no rest. I have um, kind of a strange have, question to ask you. Oh, cool. I love yeah. strange question. One of the things that I'm always fascinated by uh, is people who have an unusual letter in their name. So for example, with Prado, you've got an X at the end of your mm-hmm. name. And the reason that fascinates me is because when you were a small girl learning to write your name, you would be one of the few people 
who would have to write an X in their name. Mm -hmm. Like my name is Mary Barbara Willis. There's nothing unusual or weird. You know, it's all kind of mm -hmm. the same letters, B, A, R, M's. I mean, nothing really exciting, a couple of L's mm -hmm. in there. But whenever somebody has a name with like a Z or an X in it, and I'm like, those are sort of unusual letters. I don't really know what my question is for you, but what do you recall learning to write your name and having that X? Did it ever make you feel special to have an X in your name? Wow, no. But I do remember in the fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher telling me I was pronouncing my name wrong. It was pretty ox. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it isn't. I, I, I really don't think that's right. Um, Parlez-vous Francais? <laughs> right? Um, and uh, my mother actually did the genogram, uh, the, the genealogy stuff for a while. Um, interestingly, she did not explore her own family's um, history. Uh, they were from mostly Eastern Europe, um, mm -hmm. Slovakia, Hungary, um, maybe some Romanian, which would tie my family, my, my mother's family together with Sue's family, uh, whose grandparents were Romanian great-grandparents maybe and so um yeah for the fourth grade uh, changed my life I was known as pretty ox and um that was oh so tough but my first name is spelled with a c uh oh, Karen with a c. also that right we're counselor now uh where I work now we have another Karen with a k uh, and um so people call and ask for Karen with a c or Karen with a k and my middle name is joy because my mother being odd decided that I would have Karen with a C, Joy Prado, which is P-R-I-D-E. So it was Care, Joy, and Pride. That was what my name was supposed to mean. Also, she was Carol Jean, oh. and she thought I would look great in her monogrammed sweaters. And one of the conversations we had after I came out was, well, my, my last name will never change. <laughs> so there you have it, right? Um, it didn't carry much weight, but there are... You know, do you, I want to ask you a question about this. Okay, so I appreciate you telling us about your name because that's what I was asking about. All right, so two things. Are you, so you must have some French. I mean, French comes from your father's side. No, no French. The nope. Prideau is uh, Prideau Louisiana. Is um, or French Canadian. 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 Canada. 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 Anyway. Um, um, there's a little pack of Prideaux's spelled the same way around Sault Ste. Marie. Mm. And I can't figure out if they came down from French Canadian territory or up from the Cajun territory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we are not related as far back as, as we've been able to find. I actually contacted a couple when I was touring up in that area and um, some really nice folks, but not related. Okay. So I could have married one, I guess, but um, my father's family was almost all from England. Um, oh, okay. And I have a photograph actually of a, a cairn, one of those sort of cut off, cut in half bathtub looking memorials with a mm -hmm. whole bunch of stuff in it about great, 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 some number of great uncle um, who died in like 1713 or something. And in due filial appreciation of their relationship, their Joshua Anne had constructed this bathtub memorial in uh, Westminster Abbey. Oh, that's amazing. So I have been to Westminster Abbey and stood upon the grave of great, great uncle Edgar. And um, yes, and I, um, the way I got the photograph, speaking of a tangent, uh, the way I got the photograph was I went on a school program and had some travel time 
that I took at the end and went to England and just blew around the place on my own and had a great time and went to, to Cornwall to visit my grandparents, my, my father's uh, dad and his second wife. And then I went and saw the, the abbeys and you know Stonehenge and did all that on my own. And when I went in, I thought, oh, I've got to find great, great uncle Edgar and I couldn't find the stone. So I went to one of the, uh, the docents there. They all dress like very Roman Catholic priests, the white cassock and the red oh. and stuff. I always feel like I have to have better posture. <laughs> and I said, I, I can't find my great, 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 many times great uncle Edgar. And he said, oh, of course. <laughs> and I said, no, no, really, he should be here. Because then I told as much of the story as I could remember. So I got the really big book out, which is probably, you know, the early pages are from the 1500s or something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And sure enough, he, his gravestone should have been there. And this guy was so embarrassed. He's like, I, I don't know what to say. I'm so very sorry. And I was like, yeah, me too. I, I apologize I for the people that 300 years ago made a terrible <laughs> right? oversight. And who knew? It's, it's probably an offense or a, a stone wall somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll be okay with this. Just let me take a photograph of the monument. And he said, there are no photographs allowed. And then he looked left and he looked right and he said, be quick. So, so I got this photograph. It's been on the fridge ever since. It's great. Um, so Where that is Uncle name. Edgar always did love cold food. Uncle Edgar, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure he's not rolling over in his grave anymore uh, no. about being lost. But um, so when my mother did the genealogy stuff, she was expecting, you know, some tie to France. But when the Normans invaded back in whenever, um, my my family apparently was a little opposed to that and sort of vocal about it. So they kept getting arrested. And because not a lot of people could read and write, the spelling went from P-R-I-D-O-H to a more French spelling. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And that so cool. Like it in the 12 and 1300s. So yeah, we've been around a while. That's um, amazing. That is so great. Because I was all excited. Yeah. I'm like, so tell me your French. And you're just like... You no. would think so, but no. I Let me tell lot. you. Yeah, yeah uh, people are like, yeah. "Do you speak French?" Uh, hey, I try. Oui. Mais yeah. non. Mais non, yeah. not at all. None of it. <laughs> I I could probably still do the alphabet, but yeah, not very well. Okay, we won't ask you. It's a party trick. We'll save it for another time. Exactly. I'll hang a yeah. spoon off my nose. And right. Oh, that's exciting! <laughs> all right. So my other question for you is kind of personal, but I think you can handle it. Um, when so I happen to have several friends. I mean, I, I, you know, the world has changed obviously so much since 1970s, 1980s, when homosexuality was hardly mentioned, at least in the world I lived in. We didn't talk about it. We didn't know anybody, that kind of thing. And over the uh -huh. years, you know, I have lots of friends who are gay and um, the biggest challenge, and maybe it continues to be this way for kids is coming out to their families or their parents. And I've um, something you said about your mom and her reaction to your news. And mm -hmm. my curiosity for you is, do you think parents who were raised to believe that there was, you know, homosexuality was wrong, do you think they're afraid to accept it because that would mean they would have to accept that they themselves have done something that I don't want to say created something bad, but there was some fault in them that created a child that is now a thing that they don't agree with. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I they, do. That they I tend to take some kind yeah. of personal affront, like, oh my God, I did that? You know, so what, can you speak to that a little bit? I think for my mother, um, she 
really did struggle. Um, I, you know, I, I can't, you can't diagnose your family. Um, there's a rule, it's, it's big, um, but she was nuts. And, um, you know, clinically speaking, I think, I think she had a lot of depression. Her hyper-religiosity later in life was, I think, a way to try and manage those feelings. Um, I absolutely believe she never wanted to be a mother, but uh, he wasn't going to use birth control. That's for sure. My yeah. dad really wanted to be a father. Mm. And um, when I think about her life, um, it was sort of a series of doing things that she wanted to do to make her feel good. And she worked leather. She was a, a, a pretty good draftsman. She oh. drew up the plans for the house they built. Oh, that's and amazing. was furious for years. I mean, it. she had to get it approved by an architect and he couldn't find anything wrong with the plans. But so still did your mom go to college? Did your mom go to college? She did not, but she okay. worked at Case oh. uh, as an administrative assistant in the engineering department. Oh. And, um, I found a couple of journals. Um, she passed seven or eight years ago now. And oddly, um, I was there because uh, she really needed some help managing getting medical care in the house. And she was well enough off that she could pay out of pocket but didn't want to. Hmm. So I uh, worked with a couple friends of the family and an amazing Episcopal minister who's a dear friend today to get services for her. And, and then I just took a few weeks off work and stayed until she passed. Mm. And so I had a lot of dead time. Well, that's a terrible thing to say, but um, quiet time when she was sleeping and whatnot. And um, it turned out to be a pretty good experience. Um, so I got to go through family papers and I found a couple of journals that she had kept when she was maybe mid-teens, late teens. Uh, she went on this trip, a cross-country trip with a friend of hers, and she drew pictures of them together and this car that they were driving. And it was, what, the the late 30s? Early? No. Late 40s, maybe. And I'm amazed that they did that then. And I, I, it kind of made me wonder what their relationship was. Mm. And so I think there might have been a little bit of a, boy, I couldn't do that um, for her. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there was resentment that she quit working when she married my dad, but it was assumed that she would. I don't mm -hmm. think if my dad had thought about it, he'd have said, no, you, you stay home, you clean the house. Mm -hmm. um, she was really creative in, in many ways. And, and I think she felt stunted at home. And then she had a couple crying babies. My brother and I are only 13 months apart. Oh, boy. And so that was a lot of stress. And you know, now I, I counsel people, what's your dream? Um, when I when I talk with clients about um, making changes, it's not, you know, make a change so you're not doing something you don't like. Make changes so you make room for the things you do like and, mm -hmm. and the things you love. And you might not even know what those are. Um, I think of you often when I'm talking with clients. I don't think there's a client I've ever had that I didn't say, what's the last book you read that you liked? Um, and I think I first heard you ask that question. And I learned to read when I was very young. Um, my dad said I, I was reading out of books when I was three. Wow. I think they were little tiny books, but I think it's probably true. Yeah. And I think reading saved my life when I was you know, depressed as a teenager trying to figure out why you know, we didn't have that, you know, um, that home life that, that mm. everybody seemed to have. Um, and I think my mom worked hard to be as, kind of good as she could but never lived up to what her dream had been mm -hmm. and that makes me really sad now 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't say that we reconciled because we didn't say, oh yeah, I forgive you. And no, I was wrong all those years, but um, it was good to be able to help her and give her some comfort at the end. So that is always sort of a very mixed blessing, but a cherished memory too. Mm-hmm. I think I sharing. got close to answering your you did. Oh, you absolutely did. I mean, it's a complicated question. It's not easy. We can only ever assume because our parents don't talk to us. Now, what year was your mom born? Do you remember what year she was born? Dad was 29. So she okay. was 30, she was six years younger. So 35. Oh, yeah. So very close to my mom's age. I think mm-hmm. my dad was born in 34 and my mom was born in 36. So I think I often feel the very same. My mother went, my mom and dad both went to college. They met at Purdue. She graduated mm-hmm. with a degree in international politics. Um, wow. Moved back to Cleveland, got married and had seven kids. And I, I will tell you, I think there was some, you know, I often think about the frustration she must have felt having a brilliant mind and her days were spent at the garden club, golfing, Mm. bowling, raising seven kids. And, you know, I, she and I never really got along. You know, we also had a difficult relationship and, you know, again, that's not what this podcast is about. Um, Did we reconcile in the end? Absolutely. My mom had MS. I wouldn't say absolutely, but in the end, as I would call it, and was, which was years and years coming um, with her MS, she had become bedridden and so forth. And so she required significant oh. care. And my dad, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal man, uh, cared for her. He never put her in a nursing home. He never ever he cared for her till literally she died the day she died at home. Anyway, my point being, you know, she would often in times when I was growing up, she was not great about saying, I love you. She was more often like, why are you so stupid? And how could you be so stupid? And why are you dumb? You know, and so that's a hard. I love you. Exactly. (laughs) I I never needed to say that. Right. I mean, right. I mean, that's that's a given. What do you even care? Uh, But in the end, she was very, very generous with her. I love yous. And, you know, I think you're wonderful. I think you're doing a good job. You're a good mother. You know, just kind of all those things. Um, And I remember being in therapy and my therapist saying to me, well, what kind of parents did she have? And I'm like, well, what the hell does that matter? But you know what? (laughs) For sure. My grandfather was 100% German and my Uh grandmother 100% Irish. And my grandmother, what was that? From the 19 teens. Exactly. Yeah. My grandfather's yeah. born in 1889 or whatever it was. And my grandmother's yeah. born in 1900 or whatever that was growing up through the depression. She, you know, all the things. And so what she probably grew up, although my grandparents were both educated, both my grandparents actually went to college as well. My grandmother went to Syracuse and my grandfather went yeah. to Rensselaer. So growing up with educated people, but um, 19th century people, <laughs> you know, growing up right, with people who right, are educated right. in the 19th century. So, you know, very tough, uh, you know, hardy people. I remember when I was a kid, 11, my brother died. Uh, he was 13, also kind of unexpectedly. My mom was eight months pregnant with my youngest brother. And I remember st- I was 11 oh. standing in the cemetery. Uh, my mom is hugely pregnant and she's crying. And this is before waterproof mascara, I guess, because the mascara is just, oh, you know, coming right, down her face. Right. Yes, yes, and yes. my grandmother was tiny. She was only five feet tall anyway. And yes. she's standing there. My mom was probably five, six, right? And she's standing there and she's looking up at my mother and she's kind of, I don't know, not have her hands on her face, but kind of on her shoulders or something. And she's saying, now, Nancy, this is done. It's over. 
put just put this aside. You've got a new baby in coming. 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. You've got all these other kids. Let this be done. Just it's time to move on now. And as a kid, that was a strong message for me. Like shit's going to happen. We move on. There's no sitting right. around feeling sorry for yourself, you know, and I'm, and now as an adult, I can't imagine looking at my 30 year old daughter and holding her crying hands in my face and saying, I'm sorry, your kid died. Move on. You know, I mean, tough people, really hard. Yeah. I mean, my grandmother grew up, kids died all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that time frame, kids die all the time. So anyway, my mother's mother grew up in an orphanage oh. um, because they were too poor to be able to God. feed yet another mouth. And so they kept having more mouths. And so she grew up in an orphanage. And when the day she moved out of the orphanage, she married my grandfather. So she had never had really any independence and never expected that. So it was very much, you know, stiff upper lip. And, you know, if I want to stiff upper lip, I'll grow a mustache, you know, that's, that's <laughs> healthy, you know, and um, I, I look back my, my um, grand, great grandfather on my mother's side was an immigrant. My father is an immigrant. Um, he went to Harvard for a couple of, or not, sorry, oh my God, Yale, sorry for. Um, I am not going to take that out. Semesters. I know, oh God, please edit that out. Well, they're both dead. They don't care now. Oh, okay. Uh, and um, he just didn't like being a student. So he. I wonder where you Harvard. got that from. Yeah, right. But I love to read. So that's it. Right. Um, you know, I think about that story of yours and your, your grandmother with so so many rules from the outside this is how mm -hmm. you live not like that not like that and not like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. and you certainly have children and if you don't it's you know you're cursed by god or something and I, I i just love being alive now and seeing how much joy people are encouraged to have yes. and you are an amazing mom lauren is an amazing oh, thank kid you. Thank and you. i i really loved being around you because it was clear you were friends as as well, much as mom and daughter. you know I'll just say this very briefly, and then I want us to move over to the book section of our talk today. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we all have a choice. And when I had Lauren, I was unexpectedly pregnant. I don't know how it happened. Yeah, I know there was a star rising in the east that night. It was. Exactly. <laughs> it was in the shape of a bottle of wine, but I'm not really sure uh, where the correlation yeah, is. You remember clearly whether it was twist off or a cork. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thankfully, very happily, I did get pregnant with Lauren. And yes, it was a surprise. And oh, I threw a monkey wrench into the world for a little bit. But in the end, it's been great. And I just remember, you know, back in those days, we didn't have ultrasounds unless you had a high-risk pregnancy. So it was always, you didn't know if you're having a boy or a girl. So right. when she was born, and it was a girl. The, one of the very first thoughts I had is, I'm going to have with this kid what I didn't have with my own mother. And, and it made it a lot easier. First of all, I had no other kids. Second of all, I was still very young, 23. So I was still a kid myself and she and I kind of grew up together. But I really, um, you know, was able, I, and this is the point of my story is we all have choices, how we're going to develop a relationship and we can pay it, you know, we can be bound to the problems of our past and bring those forward and contaminate the relationship. Or we can say the buck stops here. I'm not doing that, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to make this relationship the thing I love and covet. I mean, even to the point where Lauren and I have matching tattoos these days, we got a really? matching tattoo. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to show it from this angle. Oh, it's but a it, rabbit? It is a rabbit. Very good. Um, let me. Oh, wait, up. It's oh now a, it's an upside down rabbit. 
it's a rabbit this way. So this is the tail down here is yeah. the tail yeah. Yeah. and there's the ears and the ears are the number 13. I don't know if you can really tell the one. Yeah, 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 I see that. So in okay. um, Chinese astrology, Lauren and I are both year of the rabbit, funny enough. Well, and we were both born on the 13th of our month. She's June 13th, I'm August 13th. So well, for many years, we would talk about getting matching tattoos and it took us a long time to finally come up with something that we both liked. And uh -huh. so for one of my birthdays, we met in Philadelphia, uh, maybe my 52nd or 53rd birthday, somewhere in there, we uh, ended up in Philadelphia for my birthday. And that's what we got for my birthday was matching tattoos. So it's very fun whenever I see her and this, her little tattoo flashes, because I'm, I'm a little ditzy. The first thought I have is, I have the same tattoo. Oh, wait, that's right. Yes, of course. That's right. We did that. We did it <laughs> anyway, girl, let's talk about books. What are your thoughts about books? Who do you love? Who are your authors? Also, oh, just chiming wow. in with my reading saved my life too. You know, just when you mm -hmm. can read and escape. Mm -hmm. I grew up with five brothers. And so mm -hmm. um, most of the time on TV was Star Trek, uh, sports or wrestling. Ooh. And so, you know, so we all, I, I, I love sports and I love, I love anything Star oh, Trek. Well, you would have enjoyed growing up in my family, but I, I being the only girl for many, many years, yeah. just grew up with a pile of books around me while I sat with my brothers while they watched that shit on TV. Well, I, I always preferred the Hardy Boys to Nancy Drew. Um, well, now why is that? Um, the Hardy Boys were very adventurous. They went and like, went in the I dark thought castle. Nancy was pretty adventurous. I thought George was the deal. Actually, her friend George. Yeah, is George gay? I have no idea. Oh, okay. But I I'm pretty sure I was when I really liked George. So, um, <laughs> that's, that's the reason I'm asking is because there's this thing like it would never again. I just some stuff just never even occurs to me. But apparently, in what is the um, Scooby Doo? One of the girls in Scooby Doo, people are like, "Well, you know, she's a lesbian." And I'm like, "How would you know that? And why does it matter? I mean, not that I I don't care one way or the other, but they're like." It's so obvious. And I'm like, yeah. not to me, it isn't. But I, you know. Well, you, you know, we develop gaydar uh, during puberty. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we know how to identify each other. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, I've actually lived through a very interesting time for gay rights. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when I was in high school and early in college, it was all, you know, torn up jeans and Timberland vests and boots. And, um, you know, if you didn't have at least 12 you know, pro-feminist buttons you just weren't oh. in the oh, group, gosh. you know, God is coming and is she pissed? I still like that one. <laughs> I like that one too. I do like that. But if, if God was a woman, like we would not have born children. We, oh. you know, women don't have, right? No, we don't, no. That'd be all about guys. So um, I like the philosophy of that, but not so much the, you know, the, um, the um, what's it called? The um, logisticizing of it. Mm -hmm. um, there's so theory books. and there's practice. We like the theory, but we're yeah. not crazy about the practice. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's very true. So books, um, the very first uh, piece of anything I remember reading uh, was the, the, it's not fabulous, The Wonderful Jumping Frog of Calaveras County by Mark Twain, oh. the Mark Twain. And it's a short story and it was actually a horrible story. Um, there was a jumping frog contest and this guy had the frog that won every year. Um, I don't know how, how, I wonder how long frogs live. Anyway, it had won the contest a number of years. And so he had a rival who took the frog and poured little BBs down. Oh, good. Thank you. 
BBs into the frog so it would be too heavy to jump well and it actually killed the frog. So I remember, I know, Mark Twain could really have an edge. You know, I I love (laughs) it. For sure. Really, he, uh, yeah. So I read a lot of Mark Twain. um, And of course I was, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old and I'm reading Mark Twain and people are like, what have you done to your daughter? (laughs) And my dad said, well, my father's British and you know, I had that upbringing. So you know, she can read anything she wants. So I read um, the jungle book when I was probably eight or nine. And then I reread it every year till I was about 30. And uh, I had my father's leather bound jungle book. You found Yeah. Frogs live 10 to 12 years. The common okay. dude can live 10 to 12 years. So it is possible that guy kept coming back with the same frog. There you go. Until some so sicko killed it. I know. That's really sad. So it was classics. Um, my father could do pages of Shakespeare. Um, he was actually raised in Nassau in the Bahamas. And it's a very British upbringing there. So he had, um, boys don't call it finishing school, prep school, I guess. Mm. And um, he went to Phillips Exeter and then um, somewhere else and then Yale for that m- brief moment he spent in college. And uh, so he, he still loved the classics. And when my, uh, my dad's sister married a guy who was pretty wealthy and he loved books. So he had a library in, his, mm. in their house and it, it had those great rolling ladders. Oh. And he said, you can take any book off the shelf and read it, but leave it on my desk because you won't put it away where it needs to go. And that was the rule. So I would be sitting in there all day just with a pile of books around me. And I never got told you can't read that. So uh, one of the best things my mom did as a, as a mother was she told the ladies at the library to let me take out as many books as I wanted to. And I'd go in with a grocery bag and take 12, 15 books out when I was in. Oh, that's second, heaven. Third grade. Yeah, I read The Black Stallion 150 times. Um, I really loved um, Kipling stories. The Tell Jungle me a little bit about the benefit of rereading books when you've read them, you know, read them every year or you reread them or whatever. Yeah. What is the benefit for you for doing that? I think there's always something new. I've changed in the year. Mm-hmm. And so there might be things I, I read differently. One of the the uh, the sets I read is Susan... Um, Susan R. Cooper, The Dark is Rising. Series. Susan R. And Cooper? It, yep. It's very much a good, evil, um, metal and lingual uh, sort of um, book starring children who are very special and wise. And um, the, um, the Swiftly Tilting Planet came out as a movie a few years ago, and it sucked as a movie. The book is way better, as always. But those kind of books made me... Um, in a way, sort of questioned my faith. Um, my sort of spirituality overlapped religion for many years. And so reading those kinds of books where people are doing good because they're supposed to do good, not because they're going to get a reward or not because you know, it's, it's, it's cool to do good or you get known. It's um, Sue Perlmutter, the Sue Perlmutter is Jewish. She was raised by a Jewish mom who was raised by a Jewish mom. And so um, we've, we've had conversations about religion. And what I love about Judaism is the, the concept that you're not doing good for a reward. You're not doing good because God, you get to go to heaven or people will like you better or you donate money for a building, they'll put your name on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, the, the anonymous sort of do-gooder 
is really the blessed one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of doing social work. And I think it's part of, you know, my general spirituality, which has been shaped a lot by my reading. And so those kind of fantasy parable kinds of books have always been uh, intriguing to me. Um, I got into science fiction kind of for the same ideals, maybe like science fiction is all about, wow, what if something happened? What if we really could read minds? And that's the only thing they changed. So what does that make the story become? Mm -hmm. um, I love history. I love oh, reading true. about, oh, like, like what was a day like in 1112 before the printing press and, you know, the 200 years it took for people, just general people like you and me or our parents got to learn to read. Um, mm -hmm. What was it like to, you know, grow up and live your whole life within five miles of where you were born? Imagine, you know, I've traveled to South Africa and England and France and Canada, never been to Mexico, oddly. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but, you know. but reading about it it, 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 it grows our brain. You have a dog. Oh, I do. Oh, can you see him? This is Gable. Hi, buddy. Hi, Gable. Our little boxer. Of course. Yeah, he doesn't care about me. My... He wants to well, I have room. my headphones on, so he can't hear you. Uh, oh, he's, he's our boxer. Anyway. Let's see if I can... He's yeah, like ready to go in. It's get, oh, there's daddy letting oh. him in. Thanks, dad. Hi. Uh, Hi. And then my other, my other dog, uh, Sydney, is the dog that came back from Hong Kong. So when I sit out on this porch doing these interviews, I leave my porch door open. And because we live on a farm, they can just they literally can go, go outside and roam around. And uh, you can tell when he gets tired of the roaming because he comes in and he wants his comfort. He wants to get on his And he wants to take a nap. Mm -hmm. Me they, too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> It's exactly. I've had enough playtime. I must now sleep. And uh, <laughs> there's, I, I don't know if you can actually see sit down there. There she is. Oh, I see tail. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There she is. There she is. Hi, Sid. Her curl over tail. Hi, yeah. Girl. There she is. That's my girl from uh, Hong Kong. Oh, she's okay. Thank you. I think she'll just stay. I remember her. Yeah. She was yeah. awesome. So, anyway, so that, yeah, my little baby from Hong Kong just turned nine. She's, our years are going fast together. Um, yeah, they speed up, don't they? They do. I just wanted to say, when it comes to spirituality, one of the first books I read, my mother gave me Jane Eyre when I was maybe 10, 11, 12, 10 or 11 in yeah. there somewhere. And um, it was so fascinating. I was raised Catholic and very, um, very strict Catholic. You know, we went to Catholic mm -hmm. grade school. I went to Catholic high school. We went to church every Sunday, celebrated all the holidays, you know, kept everything, kept lunch, didn't eat fish on Fridays, I mean, didn't eat fish, didn't eat meat on Fridays, that kind of thing. Um, didn't eat fish. I wasn't eating fish anyway, though, disgusting <laughs> at that time. But um, it, what was so amazing about that book for me was her own sense of right, rightness that she could determine for herself what the Bible meant. And she could determine for herself mm -hmm. if she was living a good life and if she was a good person and she didn't need old people telling her or some book telling right. her what was right. right. And that stuck with me for the rest of, I mean, that's always stuck with me for my whole life that um, I, I love Jane Eyre and I still cling to that idea, you know, spiritually mm -hmm. that I can determine for myself if I'm on the right track and doing the right things. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of gobbledygook going around in the world and a lot of ways to get miss, you know, off track or misled and, and being able to count on yourself and, and develop that sense of spiritual self, I guess, is so key to living a fulfilling mm -hmm. life for me. You know, how we have to say for me these yeah. days. That's for me. I think, for that's, you. I think that's a really brave thing 
and, and I think that it's a, a way that our generations have matured over time. Mm -hmm. um, my mother's sort of hyper-religiosity became an escape for her, but it wasn't, I don't believe it was a comfort. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being a creative person, a thoughtful person, a smart person, um, but being sort of emotionally like compressed, I think is the best way to put it. She wasn't able to have that belief in herself. Okay, I'm gonna make up my own mind. Mm -hmm. And um, she was not able to say, yeah, that doesn't sound right to me. But, you know, somebody who had the, you know, the Anglican collar, we were Episcopalian, so mm -hmm. sort of kept polite. Um, she said, okay, I'm gonna to listen to you because you, you know, you put your hand up and said no. And um, I think reading again, broadened my horizons mm -hmm. enough and they had no idea a lot of times what I was reading. Right. Um, my parents I either. Yeah. I read Black Boy. <laughs> I mean, I read um, Black Boy by, I can't think of the oh, author's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, but I, again, I was like 12 and I don't know, I'm just like going to the Lakewood Library, just picking up books and just reading. I read some crazy story called Harry and Tonto and it was about some old guy and he's having, having sex and I was like 12. I mean, it didn't, you know, I wasn't like, like, oh my God, I was just like, oh, this is what he's doing. Yeah. Okay. You know, reading, I mean, just reading stories. And I think my, again, my parents, when you grow up in a world with seven kids and one just died and a baby's born, you can see what's going on. I mean, it's just, nobody's really paying attention. You know, as long as you're quiet, you can kind of do anything you want. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just saying for all you noisy kids out there. I would say how you got in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, it's, um, that's very true. And it's the silent kids who are really doing a lot of thinking and um, reading made me think. And, yes. and I, you know, I, I don't like to be in the box and mm -hmm. I'm a little claustrophobic with that. And um, that's another thing that, that informs social work. You know, I, mm. I don't, I really try hard not to make assumptions about clients. I've confronted my own biases and sort of assumptions and expectations. And mm -hmm. I do a lot of student, um, training um supervising students and masters in social work masters in mental health programs and probably you know the real world isn't easy and um so thinking about clients as people first and people who've lived in a particular environment and what does that mean about how we come together to do this work together and mm -hmm. you know it, it's it's not my work it's your work but I'm here to help with that. And like I, I said before, I always ask, what's the last book you read that you liked? Mm -hmm. And if it was, you know, uh, if it was an anime or if it was, you know, uh, uh, a grim fairy tale when you were six, my cousin was a children's librarian for 30 years and she would ask that question and kids would come in in the fifth grade and say, I have to read a paper in a book. <laughs> She'd ask them, what's the last book you read you liked? I'll find you something like that. Mm -hmm. And then she would start to, you know, they'd come in, they'd say, hi, Miss Beth. And um, she'd get them another book. And series are great because you know you're going to like the book. And mm -hmm. maybe you've run out of David Eddings, so you find somebody else who writes fantasy. It's a little different. Your brain is opening up that much more. And uh, I love to buy books for clients. Um, that's probably 70% of why I'm an Amazon Prime person. Um, you order a book, you get it in a couple of days it's before their next appointment and giving a client a book is like, yeah, here's the world. Mm -hmm. here's the world. Mm -hmm. That is so great. Karen, yes. I'm, 
I'm, I hate to do this because, of course, you and I already know we could talk for hours about this. Yeah. Um, we are going to wrap up our time together. And uh, I do want to ask you, though, is there anything we didn't talk about? Or I, I'm sure there is. But is there anything you would like to say that you didn't get a chance to say or what you thought we would talk about today? No idea. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, it, um, first of all, I'm so glad to be back in touch and seeing your wonderful face. And, Thank you. Um, and it's it's so exciting to have we we said before that each of us have friends who when you pick up the conversation 18 years later it's like so what'd you have for dinner you know um and I, I love having those kinds of friends and me too um and I'm very very happy that you're one of them thank you and I'm you're so happy you're happy you look so great thank you, really you. well the you know I do have a little makeup on and the sunlight and everything you know it's planned to do it this way so I see I, yeah if I got real close you'd see the, the big crevices <laughs> and you know <laughs> well if you just gain a couple of pounds a year you fill in the wrinkles as they form <laughs> that's the idea is there any other books so I've written down Susan Cooper she's the Ooh. author right Susan Cooper oh, wow. the dark um, the Dark Are Rising? Is that what it's dark called? Dark Is Rising. I the think Dark it's Is six Rising. Books. Okay. Um, you know, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, of course. Um, oh, yeah, that's Neville yeah. Wrangell has The Swiftly Tilting Planet and four other books. The first three are amazing. The last two, I think, were assignments. Um, I like to read uh, sort of mystery books because mm -hmm. I, I talk a lot at work and it's sometimes hard talking and I like easy books. Mm -hmm. So I read, um, I read Laurie R. King who has a series of uh, stories about uh, Sherlock Holmes and oh. his wife. Oh, that sounds interesting. The, um, yeah. She, uh, I think the very first one was, um, oh, it's up here somewhere. Um, the very first one, well, she wrote um, a mystery called A Grave Talent. That was the first book that she wrote. And uh, I think it took five or six years to get published. And that is definitely worth reading. God. Uh, it's a, um, the protagonist is Kate Martinelli, who is um, uh, a, a detective in San Francisco who happens to be lesbian and uh, goes through some real struggles with that mm. being um, sort of having an effect on her work in a sort of odd way. Mm. And she also wrote a, a standalone called Folly, which is um, about a woman who struggled with depression for many years, who is also a woodworker. And I love her depictions of woodworking. They're so, so spot on. And that is about how she recovers from some horrible times in her life by rebuilding a house that uh, was purportedly built in the San Juan Islands off Vancouver cool. in Canada. Um, actually, sort of the States, but um, that he had built on an island. He had come back from World War I with, with battle fatigue. Oh, wow. And so she also portrays PTSD Mm -hmm. really really well and depression really really well and um i read that one again i read that just because it's i love her language and how mm -hmm. she describes things um what else i've been reading some poetry mary Good. oliver we talked oh, about i love mary oliver, mary oliver. yeah oh, it is it is not necessary to walk a thousand miles on your knees i love that you know, I'm, I just talked about this book in my last interview with a girl named Laura, who is right. doing some brilliant things herself. Uh, and uh, it's called Soulcraft by Bill Plotkin. Oh, I've read some of his stuff. Yes. Yeah. I and that's one of the too. first things that's one of the first little verses that he includes in this 
soul mm. craft journey is about you don't have to go a thousand miles on your knees you know it's enough to be who you are that's not the actual word but i know it's just right in the front here of course it's um something uh, wild geese it. i think it's called wild geese mm -hmm. by mary oliver yeah yes and i wish i could just i wish it was just right here i would read it yeah uh, here it is yeah you're right mary oliver says in wild geese you do not have to be good you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves beautiful yeah. i mean that's so brilliant I have, yeah i love that I've book. Read clients and and i always know that that somebody's really really going to do great work when they start crying and, uh, I don't try and make clients cry, but sometimes it happens. And there's emotion, right? And it's got to come out. Right. And okay. like you said, you know, you're sitting on your emotions. It's going to poke you right where it hurts. So <laughs> we, have to, we have to pay attention to that as much as possible. Absolutely. So uh, we talked about Anne Lamott. Oh, yeah. Anne Lamott. Love her. Absolutely brilliant. I yes. love how she's brilliantly... Um, sort of self-critical but in a super super healthy way mm -hmm. you know i know that i am um a, his, a hypochondriac so i'm going to go talk to people about this mole that i'm terrified is going to turn into cancer and then my son will be without a mother um and sort of talks herself through that and her faith is very much not rooted again in a church mm -hmm. um but is rooted in her experience and um the way that she her language how she talks about her experiences is so accessible and and at the same time just makes me think sometimes I'm just in a weird mood and I'll open one of her books just open it like a magic book and start reading to myself and I'll read a page or two and I'll put it down and I'll think about it all afternoon mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. another magic one for me that's great anything else no those are great so we've got uh Susan this Cooper uh the lion um of course I can't think of that I mean the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I just can't think of the. I know who wrote C.S. Lewis. Uh, Lewis thank you. Lori, Lori King, Mary Oliver, and Lamont. Excellent recommendations. Yeah. I'll, so what will happen is when I post this video, uh, I will post pictures of some of the books that they've written so people can get a view and oh, they can sure, cool, order cool. them and, and look at whatever they like. Karen, uh, it has been an enormous pleasure. I really could make this podcast like four hours of us just talking. <laughs> we should do it in a cafe. And then we can like eat with people and we can uh, have our have our coffee and tea with people. Yes, I'm, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes. Well, I did get my first vaccination on Wednesday, I think. I've had yes, two. Today's Friday. Oh, you've yeah. had two. That's exciting. How about Sue? Sue's also had two? Sue had one. Oh, I got mine because I meet with clients in person. Uh, I see. Uh, I see. So it's very difficult to yeah. to meet with our folks on, on, you know, like I hear noises in the background, like you have to get off your video game. This is counseling time. Really. <laughs> no World of Warcraft or, you know, whatever those horrible games are. Oh, um, but I, you got to talk to Molly Weezer. Oh, oh yeah. I wanted to mention a friend of mine. Her name is Karen, spelled with a C, Whirlinger, uh, Whirlinger, like she lingers. She is a brilliant author. Um, okay. I love her books. Um, and she tells very layered and complex stories and it's all about character and, and you know, um, kind of living and growing stuff. Well, feel and free to introduce us. I will do that. I actually Send us an asked email. permission 
Yeah, okay. just send her an email and introduce us via email, and then she and I can work out, you know, the particulars. She said she'd love to do it, by the way, because I, oh, I great. All yeah. right. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I always right. look for people to interview, people who lead I'll everyday lives. Thinking, that are I, I love the idea of this. And uh, I am going to get to say I knew you before you had this podcast. That's right. You will. You are exactly. Yeah. You're going to be able to say that. I knew her when she worked in a basement. Because I worked in the same basement, right? Well, you did. Well, you were actually upstairs with all the important people, but no, no, no. I got, I got, I got to live downstairs. First, I was at the you... very first desk when you came in and turned to the left. I was at that first desk. Oh, very good. I, I yeah. yeah, I've, I've kind of forgotten. It doesn't really matter. Let's not rehash that. Uh, anyway, I do want to say thank you for being with us today. It was such You're a pleasure so to welcome. speak with you. I'm actually going to say goodbye to you off the air, so don't go anywhere. But for my I listeners. Thanks for checking in with us, for watching the video, for listening online. Um, I'm supposed to, you know, say things like follow, follow my page on Facebook and go find me on iTunes, Bookshelf Shelfies. So please do share with your friends, let them know what I'm up to. And if you know somebody you think would be a great guest, please reach out to me on my Facebook page and uh, I'd be happy to interview them. All right, everybody, take care. <laughs>